I knew growing up I always wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to make a difference. This is Michelle Richmond, a former teacher now in her 50s. About 30 years ago, Michelle began teaching in St. Louis public schools. Education has always been very rewarding for me. Watching the students, their facial cues, their confidence grow was intrinsically rewarding for me. It became difficult as my career went on. Michelle found the switch to online learning to be particularly challenging. She felt burnt out and decided it was time for her to step away from teaching. But she also knew she still had plenty to offer away from the classroom. So she thought about starting over in a new field that had always intrigued her, computer science. Of course, breaking into a new field can be daunting. But Michelle was prepared for this task of continuing her education. Being a teacher is a constant improvement of your own skills for what's out there. Learning, adapting, evolving. Michelle had always been a lifelong learner, so she wasn't afraid to hit the books and learn some new skills. So she applied to a local coding school in St. Louis called Launch Code, a nonprofit that helps people with non-traditional tech backgrounds acquire new skills and find new careers as developers and engineers. In my mind, before I went into it, I pictured myself learning to code. I soon found out technology is so much more vast. Not only was there a lot to learn, but Michelle also had to balance her studies with work as a teacher and her home life. There was a moment where I went to my husband and I said, I I don't know. I mean, am I robbing this special time with our girls to do this when it's something that I may not be successful doing? And he was very encouraging and explained that what I was doing was actually a role model for them. It showed them that learning continues far beyond your uh, school uh, classroom, and you can embrace that and take that risk, even if you don't know for sure what the picture will be or if it will be what you thought in the end. Michelle's journey eventually led her to start a new chapter as an engineer at Accenture Federal Services. It wasn't an easy path, but along the way, she picked up a myriad of new skills and leaned on her years of invaluable experience to carry her into a new chapter. I'm Elise Hugh. And I'm Josh Klein. And this is Built for Change, a podcast from Accenture. So Elise, I, I got to say, I love Michelle's brave decision to take a big, hard pivot in her career. Have you ever faced anything like that? Not yet, but I imagine that with all the changes in kind of work culture and so much technology that's changing too, that I might want to take a hard pivot sometime too, maybe in the next five, 10 years. Mm. I have a good friend who was a burned out ER doctor who decided, you know what, I'm going to hang out my own shingle. And now she's helping treat depression. She had to totally retrain and learn about new treatments and new technologies and just opening up her own office. So it's pretty inspiring to see. Oh, that's amazing. And now's the time for it. You know, there are a lot of opportunities out there these days for people to to learn and to grow no matter what their backgrounds are. Totally. The U.S. population, it's aging quickly. Mm -hmm. So is the workforce. 
And the technology we're using every day is fast advancing. So a lot of people are faced with these questions of how to move their careers forward, how to find fulfillment, and then the skills they need in order to do that. Right. And you can get access to all that stuff faster and more easily than you ever have in the past. Yes. So that's the trend we're going to talk about today. The ways our work environments are evolving don't have to be an insurmountable hurdle for people whose existing skill sets might not line up with the latest technologies. There are so many opportunities, not just for workers looking to take control of their career growth, but also enterprises as technologies and business models continue evolving rapidly. At its most basic, scaling is about helping people do things better and do new things that they couldn't do in the past. This is Allison Horn, Global Talent Lead, Talent and Organization at Accenture. Years ago, she was a career coach in higher education with a focus on adult learning. Back then, the concept of skilling was different. When I started working in this space, which is almost 25 years ago now, the skilling expectations and what we were up against was much more contained. It was much more boxed. Meaning the kinds of skills that workers needed were separated into different general categories. You learned professional skills like communication or technical skills like knowing how to use a specific software. Fast forward to today, there is no separating them. There is no segmenting them. All of these skills come to life in a very, very connected, intersected way. We have to make sure that we are bringing forward these skilling opportunities, not in disconnected boxes, but in very interconnected ways. This is in part due to the pace of technology and how it's intertwined in everything we do. These days, skilling can run the gamut from a graphic designer learning how to use a new type of illustration software to a coal plant operator learning how to install solar panels. But here's the thing. Before businesses start thinking about how to help their employees, they have to consider why they're doing it and their larger needs. There is a first step to this whole space, which is about understanding motivation. We absolutely have to start with the what and the why of skilling before we ever get to the how of skilling. It's not enough just to teach, you know, technology skill A and technology skill B. You have to think about it in terms of the intersections with everything else, but also in the context of, well, what is the industry that we're working in? What's the market that we're working in? What's the business problem that we are solving and focused on today? And that's not an easy question because the challenges that businesses face today are manifold. We are looking at the accelerated pace of change with technology. We're looking at the shift to you know, more green jobs. We're looking at all the sustainability commitments. We're looking at labor shortages. All these macro trends come together to create a unique set of challenges for enterprises. The result is an ongoing need to transform and reinvent. It's a heavy task for enterprises, and it also has serious implications for workers. The roles that people are looking for are changing and evolving all the time. And the one thing we know for sure is that none of the roles and the ways in which we think about roles today will remain static. Imagine a mainframe database analyst who's worked a two-decade career at a company that's making the switch to the cloud. The skills they've been honing for decades might not seem to be as applicable because the technology has changed, but those skills could be used in a variety of ways, depending on the needs of a company. 
What we need are people who are able to go across different spaces. They're able to show up with the skills that are needed for whatever the challenge or the problem of the day is. They're able to flex those skills into a new adjacent area. Allison says skilling isn't just about mid or late career workers having to adapt to emerging technologies. It's actually an innate human desire to learn, try new things, to connect and feel valued. This is something that companies can often overlook. They might not see the powerful potential of continued education and growth of their employees. We talk a lot about the importance of every company having a learning culture. And sometimes when people hear that, what they think we're saying is everyone needs to have great training. It's so much more than that. When we think about a learning culture, we are talking about an organization that lives and breathes continuous development every single day. For an organization, that learning culture is all about recognizing that workers from all different backgrounds and of all ages have the capacity to keep evolving. I, for one, have a bit of a disdain when we try to distill worker preferences in terms of these age brackets or these generational brackets. What's different in terms of our older workers versus our younger workers is that they are sitting on decades of incredible experiences and incredibly mature skill sets that we can build on top of, which should not be thought of as legacy skills or showstoppers. They need to be thought of as accelerators. In other words, the vast experience of a mature worker should not be discounted, and neither should their desire to keep building on their skill set. At the core, we're all looking for opportunities to grow. We're looking for places where we belong, where we can contribute, where we can do the kind of work that really adds energy to our day, as opposed to the kind of work that leads us truly depleted at the end of the day. For companies, providing opportunities for their workers to grow is everything from operational items, like making sure employees have access to tutorials about the software or tools they're using each day, all the way to setting up retreats and new experiences for them to fully soak in that learning culture, a key part of any future-facing business strategy. If the organization is continuously evolving, if it's continuously reinventing itself, that means that every single person in that organization needs to be continuously evolving and reinventing themselves. For a company to live in this continuous transformation, you have to have alignment and understanding around a well-defined business strategy. And everyone needs to understand what the organization's strategy is and what its goals are in order to know what skills are important and valued. So one of the key components to achieving this and establishing a strategy that benefits all employees is data. Data has a huge role to play in talent transformation. At its core, we now have the ability to be able to understand through data models what are the skills of our current workforce? And we're able to look and say, based on the business strategy and based on the talent strategy and understanding the needs of tomorrow's workforce, we can also answer that question of what are the skills that we're going to need? You cannot hire your way out of your talent gaps anymore. That doesn't mean that recruiting should come to a standstill, but it does mean looking within and figuring out how to build skills among the talent that's already there. Imagine a company that is now going out to their own people and saying, 
Rather than us trying to recruit our way out of what we need, we're going to invest in our people and we're going to help you all grow your careers. It's like this mutual win where people get the opportunities to deepen their skills and really expand their skill set, increase, accelerate their own career path. That's why it's so important to embed that learning culture into the organizational structure from the ground up. My personal disdain for the word reskilling is because it implies that we are in some way, shape, or form undoing things of the past, that we are saying something is broken and we need to fix it. I think there's a really important mindset shift here that needs to come to life that says what you've learned in the past is a building block for what you're going to learn in the future. So Elise, you're a woman of many talents. Have you recently have you recently found yourself expanding on a skill or like developing a new one to help you in your professional life? I constantly have to because I work in journalism and media mm. and the technology that we use to distribute and get our content out to audiences has been changing my entire adult life. Mm. So, you know, whenever I was first coming up, I had to learn web publishing, for example, but the content management systems always change. And I learned video editing on, I think, tape to tape over beta. Oh my God. And ended up having to move that to digital. And then obviously, Obviously, video editing software continues to change. Mm -hmm. And so I'm constantly having to build and develop new skills. What about you? What kind of skills do you think offer the most opportunities to workers today? I mean, there's so much out there. When I speak to executives, a lot of the conversation now is around how the talent that they need isn't necessarily like, do you know this? Right, a particular programming language is not the wreck anymore. Not so much. It's much more, are you entrepreneurial? Are you collaborative? Do you have an area of deep expertise that you can then transfer across to another domain? So it, it seems to be a lot more behavioral, but there are hard skills that you have to then backfill along with it. And those are easier to get than before. Yeah, yeah. And I always feel like whatever I'm learning, it's not enough. Yeah, like I need yes. to continue to, to to upgrade. But there's a lot of people who go through this and continue to go through this. Yeah. It's encouraging to know that there are lots of possibilities out there for workers that want to grow and develop what they know. And, you know, unfortunately, that takes a lot of time and investment from companies. But mm-hmm. just as importantly, it does take, you know, I think that mindset among workers themselves to really own that change. Totally, totally. So let's turn back to Michelle Richmond to hear what it took for her to turn her skill set as a teacher into a new career in tech. Before Michelle Richmond became a high school math teacher, she actually studied computer networks and the early internet in graduate school. This was in the late 90s, and computers were becoming uh, a more of a staple. Back then, Michelle had a firm grasp on some early programming languages. But when she considered embarking on a new career in computer science, she knew the field had changed a lot in the decades since. I had a sense that what I had learned before would be super useful. And although I think that background knowledge is helpful, it wasn't a requirement whatsoever. Technology has changed so much. Rather than learning a completely new programming language like she did in the 90s, Michelle's bootcamp experience was more about recognizing patterns and figuring out how they could build off what she already knew. So really, it was more having to switch my mindset from the idea that I was going to code everything in and have pages and pages of code that you'd have to debunk 
to working with a program which would actually have a little bit of help in that programming. In some ways, new tools in programming made becoming adept as a developer easier than Michelle remembered when she first started out. Sure, she had to learn new languages and new programs, but her ability to reason and solve complex problems came in handy. A bigger challenge was managing her schedule. You know, as a teacher, that 40 hours that you're with the students, it isn't your only time that you are actually working. So preparing lessons, grading, all those things that go into teaching. It was the middle of a school year when Michelle embarked on her journey to become a software engineer. Her classes at LaunchCode were pretty intense. She was there on a scholarship, essentially. LaunchCode is a nonprofit, and their classes are free for people accepted into the program. So Michelle was working full-time and taking a three-hour class one night a week. And then the commitment to the work that goes with it, the reading, the practice, the quizzes, the projects, that encompassed another 15 to 20 hours a week. And so it was an everyday routine for me to work on launch code. It took a lot of resilience to balance the task of acquiring new skills with her full-time job, but Michelle was lucky enough to have support from her husband and family to help out with cooking, cleaning, and errands. Michelle had to keep up her routine for a full year. Her workload got a bit easier to manage when school let out for the summer. Michelle then stopped teaching and focused solely on her coursework, but things really picked up when she started her job hunt. I sent out my applications in November. I just kind of made a mental goal of my own that each week I would send out four or five. LaunchCode matched Michelle with a mentor to guide with things like the job interview process. But as it turned out, it didn't take that many interviews for Michelle to find a good match. I knew after the first interview with Accenture that they were different than the other um, corporations I was looking at. The biggest asset was their commitment to education. As soon as Michelle got hired by Accenture Federal Services, she entered the company's own boot camp to help her learn the specific skills that she'd need in her new role. And so I felt I wasn't going to be placed in a situation where others around me had a higher expectation than what I was able to produce. And instead, they equipped me and evolved my skills into what they needed. Michelle was ready and excited for her first day of training, but it was still daunting. I was so anxious. You know, here I am, an older woman, and my fear was I would be looked at as less. But Michelle quickly realized that everyone entered the building as equals with plenty to learn. And her decades of experience in another field actually gave her a leg up. My years of being a teacher has fed into that ability to not only learn, but to communicate, to work in a team, to contribute, but also to receive criticism or help when needed. But the transfer of Michelle's capabilities into her work today goes beyond just the soft skills. As she's kept learning, her natural affinity for providing guidance and education has come full circle as she started to specialize. I did study further after the boot camp. 
and then was asked to be a teacher assistant. So one of the exciting things I get to do outside of my client, outside of my day-to-day role, is I'm going to get to pay it forward in a way that's very comfortable to me to be a teacher, to be a helper. And now she's settled into her new role. She supports the company and its work with the U.S. federal government to meet a wide range of needs, especially those related to IT. And Michelle has advice for both people like her who have made a late career transition and for the students she used to teach back in the day. Step outside your comfort zone. Go further than you think you can go. This is something I've been trying to tell the high school population, those struggling with, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to be when I grow up? I suggest take a step back. The career that is perfect for you may not even be in existence yet. The technology may not be created yet, or it might be something you create for yourself that's needed. So push yourself to learn. Find out what sparks that interest and curiosity. Elise, what do you make out of Michelle's journey and and what that means for the value of learning, even once you have a, a solid lock on your career? Well, my hot take is risk and change, risk and change, you know, that that there's so much perspective to be gained in life and it all comes through learning and growing. So Michelle's journey is an awesome example of it. I also think it's instructive and inspiring for the rest of us, but it does take some infrastructure support, right? So in your career, what are some ways that you've seen businesses maybe invest in this kind of learning and growth? I mean, uh, so much of it's table stakes in terms of like learning systems, but my impression is it has a lot to do with the culture of the company, you know, is continuous learning valued, is Mm -hmm. changing your career path valued, is innovation valued? Because when that becomes the norm, it makes it a lot easier for people to invest in themselves. Totally. It's really inspiring, I think, to see people like Michelle make these shifts later in their careers. Yep. But it is also really important for companies to provide those opportunities, you know, to give those those chances for their employees to keep learning and develop those skills. Yeah, so now we're going to hear from a software company that helps businesses design and build their own learning opportunities to drive growth, not just for individual workers, but for the entire organization, all the way up to leadership. When I went to college myself, the value of coding wasn't super obvious. This is Aaron Sconard, co-founder and CEO of Pluralsight, an online education company that offers a range of courses for tech workers. Back in the mid-90s, Aaron was a college student interested in software development, but feeling pressured to pick something that was viewed as more practical for that day and age. I remember the people saying, well, if you're going to do that, you might as well do electrical engineering because that's like a better, that's a better degree. Aaron took an entry-level programming class and was hooked. He switched his major from electrical engineering to computer science and eventually became a software developer. My journey has kind of followed that, I would say, the rise of the developer, like over many decades. As Aaron's career progressed, he started creating coursework to train other developers and worked as both a mentor and a consultant at various companies. I remember one time I traveled over to to Europe uh, to a a small town in Portugal. We got together with a group of about uh, 
a hundred developers. Picture a beachside coding retreat in a port town with a full day of lesson plans designed by two experienced developers, Aaron and his co-teacher. I remember in that classroom experience, this engagement that we created as co-teachers. So we would teach together and we would banter with each other in front of the classroom and then enlist the class in that in that bantering with us. It sort of hit me that teaching and, and sort of developing people requires this, you know, holistic experience. After that class, you know, months and maybe even a few years later, I received emails from some of those students saying how that particular experience, that particular class, like changed the trajectory of their careers. That other developer that Aaron taught with ended up becoming one of his co-founders at Pluralsight. We started the company as a classroom training company in 2004. Their model involved sending off instructors who specialized in various tech skills to teach employees at business events, for example. Each of their instructors were able to provide that holistic, engaging experience that Aaron had fostered in his early days of teaching software development. After a few years, Aaron had bigger visions for Pluralsight. So I was like thinking to myself, you know, the internet was creating this, this push towards long tail business models. And I realized, man, this, this applies to our space. This applies to tech training and tech skills, because there are a lot of things people need to learn, but there are no classes for. Pluralsight went from providing IT education programs in person to offering those same lessons online. The idea was that giving businesses and their employees options to expand their tech skills without having to plan a conference themselves or pay for an instructor to visit a headquarters could broaden access and give people those learning experiences for a fraction of the cost. If we could bring down the cost and make it possible for everyone in a company, like like anyone in the tech organization, you know, to get access to the skills that they needed. It would unlock innovation for the company and also unlock better opportunities for the individual and better careers, more exciting, more engaging, like where they're really having impact on the company's success. So they did their best to design coursework using the media and the technology at their fingertips. We realized the podcasting and blogging and video distribution at scale, like the cloud was just emerging. They used the cloud to distribute online lectures for their students to access lessons from their instructors. But Aaron says there was one glaring problem. Lecturing is the least effective mechanism (laughs) to teach. What Aaron learned through his years as a teacher and mentor is that even in the tech space, hands-on problem solving and interactive experiences offer students lessons that really stick. It's really the... Learning experiences that produce engagement. So it's like the lab experience. It's the, it's the workshopping with other classmates. It's actually building something. Like in the case of, you know, software development, it's actually writing code. As they expanded their platform, Pluralsight built in interactive tools for students to improve their coding and feel like they were putting their new skills to use. Aaron and his team started thinking about ways that their instructors could measure their students' progress on an individual basis and then meet them where they were to help them learn. So we have this capability called Skill IQ, which is like an SAT score for a tech skill. Developed in 2017, many of Pluralsight's students today take this test when they first start their learning journey. 
We can then point them to the areas of learning that are going to be most beneficial to them to get to mastery, to get to expert level. So, so that's a key element of our learning experience is like assessing where they're at today, where they want to go, and what's the fastest path to get there. Because, as Aaron says, the tech is always evolving. There's actually a skills gap in the workforce today. People aren't fully trained on a lot of the new technologies they have to use, let alone prepared to acclimate to the next generation of technology. It's shaping up to be a major challenge for companies of all kinds. There just aren't enough developers in the world to fill the demand for all the software that needs to be created to drive innovation and and improve lives. So what can businesses do to fill this need with people who can do the work and do it well? On the one hand, this might sound like a task of finding and hiring new talent that knows the ropes. But Aaron says this isn't always the best approach. I think today, most of the Fortune 500 realize that that's not a winning strategy. You can't hire your way to closing that skills gap. And we have thousands of people in these large companies who are in sort of dead-end careers, careers that are that are not fulfilling and are not going to like lead them to progress and, and like higher levels of impact. It's a lesson for businesses in balancing their decisions and their approach to learning and growth. And so the question is, how do you create these reskilling opportunities to close the gap with the good people you already employ and then hire good new talent coming into the market at the same time, but not be fully dependent on that? Here's an example. A UK telecoms company worked with Pluralsight to build a tailor-made education opportunity for their employees. They knew they needed to modernize the skill set of the entire business. Their belief was that if they could do this, it would increase productivity significantly in the business and unlock the pace of innovation. So they used Pluralsight's platform to make a lesson plan that matched their objectives. Here are the skills currently required in each of these roles, and we need to evolve the skill in these very specific ways. It happened at the individual level so that each employee got a chance to grow and move up. 92% of everyone who engaged with this program reported positive impact individually from that investment that the company made. The bottom line is this. It's now more important than ever that companies cultivate a serious learning culture from their junior employees all the way up to the C-suite. I think in the end, the best leaders are those who are thirsty to learn and to continue evolving. There's this intrinsic tie between learning and the quality of our leadership. So what kind of new career skills are you looking forward to learning soon? I want to use AI tools to do graphic design because I feel like it'll make graphic design so much less tedious. (laughs) I have never done graphic design and animation, though it's very it's a cousin to what I do as a video person and a audio person. And so that's what I want to learn. What about you? Uh, I'm doing lots of stuff now around fine tuning large language models. So also around AI. I do think there is such value to companies helping individual employees nurture their growth because when they do grow and learn, it redounds to the entire organization in all these maybe unseen ways. It's not necessarily linear Mm. when somebody is able to expand their own skill set or their boundaries. Especially with all the empowering technology we've got going on right now, it's really clear. If you want to grow your business, you've got to invest in the growth of your people. 
very true. So to learn more about what we covered in today's episode, download the Accenture Foresight app. There, you'll find more insights on skilling and the future of the workforce. Thanks to Accenture's Allison Horn and Michelle Richmond. And to Aaron Sconard of Pluralsight for talking with us. Built for Change is a podcast from Accenture. More episodes are coming soon. Follow, subscribe, and if you like what you hear, leave us a review.